Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part two of his teaching, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. This morning we're going to talk about the Baptism of the Holy Spirit, part two. If you remember last week, we talked about how Jesus told his followers to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to wait for the power of God before they went anywhere, before they did anything. You know, it's like the old American Express commercial. We said the power of God, don't leave home without it. Amen. We also talked about how the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience that is received subsequent to or after the born again experience. Amen. So this week, we're going to dive a little deeper into the word and see if we can get a better understanding of what it means to be born again and what it means to be filled with or baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll begin with a scripture that we covered last week, Luke chapter 24, verse 49. We'll be reading from the New King James Version. That's Luke 24, verse 49, New King James Version. This is Jesus speaking to his believers after he was raised from the dead, preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed with power from on high. Amen. Notice that Jesus says, I send the promise of my Father. The Holy Spirit is coming from me. As we said last week, we find out from the Scripture that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. Amen? So why would you not want something that Jesus said you need? Amen? People, whether they realize it or not, when they stiff-arm the Holy Ghost, when they stiff-arm the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they are stiff-arming Jesus Himself. Sad to say, but true. Again, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, This is, again, Jesus after his resurrection, reinforcing what he had already said in Luke 24, 49. Remember, he walked the earth for 40 days after he was resurrected. So you know that the coming of the Holy Spirit must have been a recurring theme as he preached to them before he left. Acts chapter one, verse four and five in the New King James Version and being assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Amen. Over there in Matthew 3.11, we're not going to show it to you. I'm just going to quote it to you. John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water, but the one coming after me He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? Notice once again, Jesus says, I am the baptizer. Or John says, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. It's coming from me. Amen. He baptized people in the Holy Ghost when he baptized the 120. And guess what? If you get filled with the Holy Ghost today, Jesus is the one who symbolically lays hands on you and you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That reminds me of a testimony that I will share with you. This couple that Trish and I used to know, we used to be a part of the same ministry organization. 
this has been 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. They shared this story with us when they were youth pastors. Now, they were Episcopal youth pastors. I can appreciate that because I grew up Episcopal. Amen. They were Episcopal youth pastors. They had a retreat in some remote area, some um, some camp that had a little chapel and they had a chapel service and they were praying for and believing God that all of the Episcopal youth in that group would get filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, let me tell you, that's a miracle when an Episcopal youth group gets filled with the Holy Ghost. But as John and Julie shared with us, they began the service and basically said, we're going to seek the Lord. We're going to tarry. We're going to wait because we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they said the Holy Ghost fell. And John said, the last thing I remember is I saw Jesus walk through the back door of the chapel. And he went and laid hands on every one of our youth and they all began to speak with tongues immediately. He said, not only did John and Julie see him, but every youth in that group saw him. It was a manifestation of Jesus, the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. Back to Acts chapter one. Let's go on down to verse eight. Jesus again says, but you shall receive power. That word there is the Greek word dunamis, which means explosive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. So being filled with the power, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the purpose of that is so that you can be a more dynamic and powerful witness for Jesus. Trust me, the power of God, don't leave home without it. Or you will have limited success if you go out without the power. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, let's talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to read from Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read a lot more verses than we did Last week, because I want to dive deeper. Amen. This is awesome. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Now, I grew up Episcopal, so I can relate to that group that I just told you about. And this this chapter here fascinated me when I finally got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and started pouring through the scriptures. I spent much of my time in this chapter finding out exactly what happened to me because nobody in the Episcopal church could tell me. Amen. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We'll be reading through verse 18 to begin with. And that is in the New Living Translation. That's a nod to Marcy. That's her favorite translation. All right, so it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, 
Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Let me pause right there and tell you basically what's going on here. All of a sudden in Jerusalem, they hear this noise, this rushing mighty wind, and they see tongues of flames of fire on the heads of 120 people. And I believe that as these believers got filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe they came out of the upper room and poured into the streets of Jerusalem. That's why they were able to hear them speaking and heard them speak in their own language. Now, in 48 years of speaking and praying with the Holy Spirit, it's been my experience that tongues has many manifestations, very nuanced, very multiple faceted. So you you can't really put tongues in a box. OK, and I've seen this manifest in two ways. In one way, I've seen a person who spoke an actual foreign language. And the people that were there that could speak that language understood. OK. And then there's the case where you pray or speak in tongues or worship God in tongues and it's coming out tongues with you, but they are hearing it supernaturally in their own language. This has happened to me a number of times. One time I was praying for a group of Bible students back at our Bible school in Louisiana. I was praying over them and I slipped in and out of tongues. Afterwards, one of the students came to me and said, did you know you were worshiping Jesus? in Spanish with a Puerto Rican dialect. I said, I had no idea. Trust me. And when I was speaking in tongues, it came out tongues. It didn't come out Spanish because I, I kind of do know what Spanish sounds like, even though I can't understand it. And nothing that came out of me that night sounded like Spanish, but he heard it on two occasions. He said, you were giving lavish praise to Jesus in Spanish with a Puerto Rican dialect. I said, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Another time I was praying in tongues and a person that was there praying with me heard it in French. So don't tell me this is not real. I've lived it for 48 years. This is a real, legit gift of God. The devil has done such a great job of convincing people otherwise. And they're robbing themselves of a rich, powerful encounter. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so back to verse 12. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Everybody knows if you're going to get drunk, you're going to do it at night. All right? Amen. Hallelujah. You know, that's where the phrase comes from, where, you know, it's been paraphrased. Peter says, these are not drunk as you suppose. They're just filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. It rhymes. That's why I like Holy Ghost better than Holy Spirit, because you can't say that because it didn't rhyme. Amen. Y'all just have to bear with me with all these Pentecostal moments I have. Verse 16. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Listen, I love this last two verses here. Just follow me here. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. It means it doesn't matter what race you are, what ethnic group you belong to. God poured out his spirit on you. Amen. He's absolutely for equality of the races. Okay. Then he says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. So it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. The gift of God is for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Then it says he would pour out his spirit even on the servants. So it doesn't matter what class or socioeconomic strata you live in. The Holy Ghost is the gift that God has for you. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Spend a little time digging into the word and imagine what you can learn. And thank you, Elaine, for tipping me off on that. That was a blessing. All right. So we mentioned last week how that Peter preached to the people of Jerusalem that were the ones that called for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then he says, hey, he was crucified, but God raised him from the dead anyway. So you're cool. And he did it for you. And this is what I find amazing. And this is another diversion. Jesus chose to form the backbone of the church of Jerusalem with the people who called for his death. Now, that's God kind of thinking. I would never have done that. I'm going to find my homies, the ones that took with me through it all. That's who I'm going to start church with. Amen. No, but Jesus said, hey, listen, I've got the 12 apostles. I got the 120. But the rest of you, I'm going I'm to form the backbone of the church with people who just about a month ago called for my crucifixion. That's the forgiveness, that's the grace, that's the mercy, that's the compassion of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. So Jesus was crucified, but he was raised from the dead. And after he was glorified, the scripture says, he sat at the right hand of God and he poured out the Holy Spirit, which Peter says, you now see and hear. Praise God. Once again, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. Amen. He's the one who fulfilled the promise of the prophet Joel. He's the one who continues to fulfill the promise of the prophet Joel. So one more time, those who resist the baptism of the Holy Ghost, whether they realize it or not, are stiff arming Jesus himself and the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in their lives. So Peter urges his fellow countrymen to receive what Jesus was so lavishly pouring out before them. Verse 38. Go on down to verse 38. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you to your children, and to those far away. You know what that means? Literally, it means to those in the far future. That includes you and me. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Amen. There is no statute of limitations on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is no statute of limitations on the power of God. At least not in the church age. You won't find it in your Bible. 
So those people who say all of this has passed away, they're just not reading their Bible or they're selectively reading their Bible. The promise is unto you, amen. If God was pouring out His Spirit back then, how much more is He pouring out His Spirit right now? Listen, the last time I checked the statistics, and I'm a stats guy, the number of born-again, Spirit-filled Christians worldwide was approaching 700 million. 700 million. And we started with 120 people 1,987 years ago. That's a pretty good growth curve. Think about it. 700 million, that's almost a billion people. We're approaching the point where one out of every seven people on the planet is baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. Glory to God. Imagine the influence we'll have as our numbers grow even more. Whoo! Praise the Lord. I felt the anointing on that. What happens to you when you get baptized with the Holy Ghost? Well, I wish I could explain it in every detail and every nuance because I, I just can't. It's a work of the Spirit. I don't think we're going to completely understand till we get on the other side. But there are many ways to look at it, and I've heard some excellent teachers lay out in simple and understandable terms what it means to be born again and what it means to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. But this is how I teach it, because I find it simple. And I believe it'll help you to get a basic handle on what it means to be born again and what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit. So let's begin with the fundamental truth that water in Scripture is often used as a type of or a metaphor for the Spirit of God. Amen. So with that in mind, there are some types we can look at in the Scriptures that will give us a basic understanding of what it means to be born again and what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Let's talk about wells of salvation. Wells of salvation. Turn with me in your Bible or your device to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. We're going to read verse 2 and 3 in the King James Version. There's just no better version to state this than this verse here. These two verses in the King James. Behold. God is my salvation. Let me stop right there. That word there, salvation, is the Hebrew word Yeshua. Behold, God is my Yeshua. That word Yeshua is the Hebrew word for Jesus. Amen. Behold, God is my Jesus, you could say. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my, once again, it's Yeshua. He has become my Jesus. Isn't that what God did? He came to earth in the form of a man as Jesus Christ of Nazareth, as Yeshua HaMashiach. Isn't that right? Amen. So with all of that fantastic truth in mind, Isaiah says in verse 3, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Because of what Jesus did, because God became a man in the flesh, and was crucified, dead and buried, and raised again from the dead, he is able to pour out wells of salvation into the hearts of men and women. Amen? When you get born again, God deposits a well of salvation in your spirit 
on the inside. Amen. And you become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. I don't have it on the slides, but I'll quote it for you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And the, 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 the sense there of those words in the original language are this. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. One that never before existed. One that has no precedent. Amen. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God. Everything now in your spirit looks just like God in true righteousness and holiness. As hard as that is to get our arms around, it is the truth of God. Amen. So you get a well of salvation in your spirit when you get born again. All right. Speaking of wells, Jesus and his disciples were passing through Samaria. They came to Jacob's well. Jesus sent the disciples into town to get some food. And as Jesus was there at the well by himself, a Samaritan woman came to get water from the well. And a little bit of background. Jews did not like Samaritans because they considered them to be half-breeds. Half-Jews, half-Assyrians who conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. So they looked down on them. All right, so let's pick it up at John chapter 4. We'll read verse 9 through 14 in the New Living Translation. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now I want to read that last verse to you in the King James. Verse 14, King James says, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. There it is again. The Passion Translation, verse 14. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. Amen. That sounds pretty good to me. What that says to me is when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, the well of salvation on the inside of you becomes a geyser and living water begins to pour out. And it just doesn't fill you up. It begins to come out of you and splash on other people. Amen. So they can taste and see that the Lord is good. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39 in the New King James Version. Once again, John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, New King James. On the last day, that great day of the feast, 
Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen. Jesus had to be glorified before he could pour out the Holy Spirit. And he's telling them ahead of time, if you're a believer in me, one day there will be rivers of living water that'll flow out of your inner man, that'll flow out of your heart. Amen. Glory to God. All right, I'm going to say something here that is highly controversial. And then I'm going to back it up in Scripture. And I will say this, it's highly controversial with men, but not with God. Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In every instance in the book of Acts where people got baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, it is either explicitly stated or it can be inferred with a little bit of research that they all spoke with other tongues. Let's talk about the upper room. I'm going to go through the same five scenarios we talked about last week when we emphasized that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was something that came after you were born again. This time, I'm going to show you that people talked in tongues when they got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The upper room, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, New King James Version. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen? Let's go to the Samaritan believers, Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 21. That's Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 21 in the New King James Version. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon, by the way, Simon used to be a sorcerer, if you read the whole chapter, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, I just got through telling you that this would be an example of believers getting filled with the Holy Spirit and then speaking with other tongues. And you say, Brother Scott, there's nowhere in there that explicitly states that they spoke with other tongues. Well, again, you got to do a little bit of research and you got to dig into the word. Okay. Now, so we see here in this passage that Simon tries the he tries to buy the power to lay hands on people so they can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he's rebuked by Peter. So there must have been some kind of outward sign that convinced Simon that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that logical? Yes. So what sign was that? Well, the answer can be found when you look at the Greek word in verse 21 that is translated as matter. And it's very telling. The Greek word there translated as matter is actually the word logos, which means words or speech. 
So Peter was saying to Simon, you have neither part nor portion in this matter of speech or speaking with other tongues, which happens when people get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can impart in your own power, and it's not something you can buy with money. Does everybody see that? Again, we've got to lose. We've got to use our logic, not lose our logic. A lot of people lose their logic when they read the scripture. Well, faith is not logical. God is eminently logical. Amen. I do agree that there are times we need to make leaps of faith, but most of the time it's pretty logical what God does. Let's talk about the Apostle Paul. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Again, this is not going to say that Paul spoke with other tongues, but hang with me. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 and 18 in the New Living Translation. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 and 18 in the New Living Translation. Now a little bit of background. Ananias, through a vision of the Lord, was instructed to go find Paul, who was at this time Saul, in the city of Damascus, lay hands on him so that he could receive his sight and be filled with the Spirit. So verse 17 starts like this. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Now, it does not specifically say that Paul spoke in tongues. But I'm going to tell you how I know that he did. If you go over to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, Paul said this, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Now, let me give you some context. The Corinthians were super tongue talkers. So much so that Paul had to write three chapters in Corinthians to set them straight. So everybody was talking in tongues. He said, even with that, I talk in tongues more than you all. And if you really study out the original language there, I talk in tongues more than you all put together. So evidently, Paul was a tongue talker. And it must have started when he got baptized in the Holy Spirit when Ananias laid his hands on him. Amen. Hallelujah. The household of Cornelius. Remember, Cornelius was a Roman centurion, commander of 100 Roman troops. And uh, he saw in a vision an angel telling him, go send for Peter in Joppa. When he gets to your household, he will speak words to you so you and your family can be saved. So we pick it up where Paul comes to the house of Cornelius, the first Gentiles ever to be exposed to the gospel. And it says here in verse 44, verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. How'd you like to be preaching up a storm and you think you got a stem winder going on and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost falls and everybody falls out and starts talking in tongues? You got to be ready for that. Sometimes the Holy Ghost will not wait for your preaching. Verse 45, the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Now, how did they know? Verse 46 says, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Amen. Can we be logical here? Can we study the scriptures and realize what it's saying to us? Amen. All right. The last example is the Ephesian believers. Remember, Paul was going up the coast of Ephesus 
and he found 12 disciples, believers in Jesus. And he said, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they essentially said, we have never even heard of the Holy Ghost. That's the way I was when I was Episcopal. You know, when I heard about tongues, I wasn't I wasn't prejudiced for or against it because I knew nothing about it. I never heard of tongues. All right, Acts 19, verse 6, in the New Living Translation. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Amen. Hallelujah for the word. So what have we learned in this second session? Number one, we've learned that water is a wonderful metaphor used by the Bible, used by Jesus to illustrate what happens to you when you get born again and when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, we've also learned that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Although I don't want to be dogmatic about it because of my own experience. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Again, I grew up Episcopal. I was taught the Word of God in Sunday school. I was taught the Bible. None of it meant anything to me till I was asked to come to a place called the Coffee House where young people of all denominations were meeting on a Monday night at Grace Moravian Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. In 1972, I walked in because the cheerleader asked me to come. That was my motivation. My locker was two lockers down from hers. But she was very wise. She said, well, promise me one thing. You will come twice. I'm like, yeah, I'll come twice. Okay. And I know why she did that. She's very wise. I walked in. There was kids in tie-dye shirts, afros, bandanas, tambourines, guitars. They were jumping around. They were singing. Some of them were singing in tongues. Some of them were singing songs I never heard of. And I thought they were the weirdest thing. I was looking for the closest exit. And I was totally weirded out. But I promised Ellen I would go twice. By the way, I found out that she was dating a football player, so there was nothing going on there. So the next Monday night, I come back into the same environment. And I'll be honest with you, it was just as weird to me then as the first time. Only the second time, I saw something in those people. And I knew that they had something that I didn't have. Furthermore, I knew that they had something that I needed. Their love with Jesus was infectious. It was overflowing. I said, you know, I've never known anything about Jesus other than Sunday school. And here these people act like he's a real person. And it made an impression on me. So I guess it was about, it was about six weeks later. Uh, they organized a youth retreat on Grandfather Mountain, North Carolina. And on a Saturday night in a communion service, I gave my life to Jesus and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But being a young Episcopal boy, I did not know how to yield to anything. I did feel the power of God on me for the first time in my life. It felt like electricity. And I was like, whatever this is, it's real. And so consequently, I had to get in the scriptures and find out about tongues. I mean, I'm seeing these like 14 year old kids all around me. They're all praying in tongues. And here I am, 17, and I, I can't get there from here. You know, and I was like, this is not right, Lord. You know, anyways, a long story. I won't share it this morning. 
But I did three months later after studying the scriptures. I finally got frustrated and I yielded to the Lord and tongues came out. And I've been praying in tongues for 48 years now. Amen. Isn't God good? Amen. Hallelujah. How did I get off on that? Oh, I don't want to be dogmatic and say that. If you got hands laid on you and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you have not yet spoken in tongues. I've, I'm sympathetic to that because that was my experience. But we can help you. We can help you. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. So I will wrap it up by saying this, though, even though that was my experience and I know others have had the same experience. Speaking in tongues is the only way that the rest of us will know for sure that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Let's pick it up next Sunday with a more detailed explanation of why God wants every born-again believer speaking in tongues. Amen? We hope you enjoyed today's message, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. If this message has blessed you, and you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by donating on our website at gofaithlife.com. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.